We fairies that do run, following the darkness like a dream, now are frolic. Not a mouse shall disturb this hallowed house. I am sent with broom before to sweep the dust behind the door. Puck in A Midsummer Night's Dream, Act 5, Scene 1. Today, when we hear the word fairy, a small winged creature probably comes to mind. A little glowing girl fluttering amongst the flowers. This, however, would not be the image that came to mind for most Elizabethan playgoers. They would have been picturing a wide variety of creatures that were all shapes, sizes, and colors. Some were benevolent and some were evil. One thing was for certain, though, you did not want to anger a fairy. Today, we will be discussing fairy lore, as Shakespeare's audience would have understood them. There was a long-held belief in fairies, so the lore behind them is plentiful. We do our best to sum up what a fairy was to Shakespeare and his audience, but there's so much more to talk about for those who are interested. So, sit back, relax, and come into the English countryside with us to learn all about the fairy folk. Hello and welcome to Breaking Bard, a Ripe Good Scholar podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, also known on a tiny corner of the internet as Ripe Good Scholar. I am joined, as always, by my husband, Eli. Yeah. <laughs> Who's a weirdo. That's fair. No, that's a good introduction. <laughs> anyway, who, in order to spend time with me, listens to me talk about Shakespeare things and comments on them. Also fair. So anyway, today we are going to be talking about um, fairy lore. Um as it would have existed in Shakespeare's time. Because, as we've talked about a few times here recently, Shakespeare likes to use the plot point of people dressing up as fairies. Yeah, more than he uses the plot point of actual fairies doing fairy things. Well, yeah, that's pretty much just Midsummer. Mm, the Tempest? What's-her-face as fairy? Ariel. Yeah. Maybe? Kind of. Yeah, Ariel would probably fall into the fairy category. Because that's the thing. A lot of times nowadays we think of fairies as like tiny little shiny sparkly creatures with wings that flutter around. Right. That is not what would have come to the Elizabethan audience's mind when you said fairies. Fairy was kind of this large umbrella category that really took in a lot of... um, different types of creatures. Some fairies were small, some were people-sized, a few had wings, most didn't. You know, they could, some could shapeshift, some, you know, kind of walked between worlds, you know, it was, it was a much broader kind of concept than what we have today. Did they still collect teeth? Just the one. Okay, just the one. Yeah, just the tooth fairy. Oppy. So, the idea of fairies would have been pretty well known to the people, especially of the English countryside. Belief in fairies was fading, but they sti- it still would have been there. It still would have been present throughout kind of the culture of the time. And because fairies were really used to explain a wide variety of kind of different goings-on around the household. Um, 
you know, and, and kind of natural phenomenon. Anything kind of weird that happened? Probably fairies. Okay. Um, and like I said, they were a wide variety of shapes and sizes because the idea of fairies evolved from stories and myths all through Europe. Um, because, you know, so kind of what we think of nymphs, there is some argument whether kind of deities were lesser deities were kind of pushed into the fairy category. Um, Like Pan? Yeah. Pan. um, Nymphs and dryads? Yeah. Okay. So, that was kind of... So, that gives you, I think, an idea of what we're talking about when we talk about fairies. Um, A, A big old, poorly defined smudge. Exactly. Kind of, essentially, anything that's a magical creature was a fairy. Was a unicorn a fairy? Okay, for the audience, she's giving me a death glare. No, Eli, unicorns were not fairies. Nor were dragons. Okay. I don't know about mermaids. Ooh, that's a good point. Sulkies were fairies. When, so, like I said, when we're talking about fairy lore, we're talking about these wide variety of creatures and where we kind of saw all these different creatures kind of mush into the category of fairies was with the rise of Christianity in Europe. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So so it was, uh, they, they needed something that wasn't demons or angels. And so everything, every little story that went around was just pushed into fairies. Yeah, exactly. And basically you had these pagan spirits. And like I said, there's some debate over whether gods really were pushed into fairies. But pagan spirits and gods that were kind of demoted to the care, the category of fairy. Because then there's no competition with the Christian god. Gotcha. So, um... And then, going further, besides the eventual kind of disbelief in fairies, was that the church also tried to associate fairies with the devil. Um, During a lot of the witchcraft trials we saw um, in Scotland at this time and a little after, you know, people would claim to work with fairies, that that was a thing. And so then it started being painted as working with the devil. So you really okay. didn't want to associate with fairies. So that story about the cobbler, they would have burned him at the stake. Yeah, eventually. Nah, that's unfortunate. He was just They were just making shoes. Yeah, well, what if they were evil shoes? I don't know. He was a man, so maybe they would have been like, no more fairies. Oh, that's true. Sexism. I'm just kidding. They probably still would have killed him. Oh, well, there we go. At least there's some kind of equality. Not religious equality, but, you know, we'll kill all of you the same. Yay. <laughs> so, in the end, what we saw were kind of the, you know, pukas, gnomes, elves, banshees, anything kind of falling in that kind of leprechauns were fairies. Okay. So fairies could be terrifying because I, I believe I remember the puka. Yes. Pretty 
pretty spooky. Fairies, oh, yeah, that was the thing too. Is like fairies weren't these like cute little creatures. Which really, what's funny to me is when you look at Tinkerbell's attitude in the original Peter Pan movie, where she was like trying to murder Wendy. Yeah, that's pretty spot on for fairies. Oh, well, there we go. So like. There were some fairies that were like there were there was a story of a fairy that showed up at a guy's house. And the fairy's like, I will help keep your house clean. Never thank me. And he did. And then his life fell apart. That's weird. Yes. Fairies are kind of weird. They have weird standards, they have weird rules. Um or, like, you could show gratitude to fairies, so people would set out milk and bread for the fairies, and things like that, have offerings to the fairies to kind of appease them. But in this specific story, I guess he just didn't want him to verbally say thank you, and he did, and so the fairy got mad. And then, and then, I mean... <laughs> That's so weird. Yeah, fairies are super weird when the more you read. And I think part of that is because there's so many stories that have now been lumped into fairies that, like, yeah, they're weird. So, we, we call the, like, bedtime stories fairy tales because pretty much anything magic was probably a fairy. Pretty much. And then, and then things that now we would recognize as, like definitely not magic and and what I mean by that is it's not even like unexplainable um you know people if if their kid was sickly mm-hmm. it was probably the fairies oh. if someone you know became suddenly disinterested in everything including hobbies they were previously very passionate about it wouldn't be like depression that we might see now it was it was fairies okay especially changelings changelings were a big so what will I keep hearing that a changeling is that a kidnapped child who was switched with a fairy? Yes. So the fairies um really liked human children. They liked that life. So they would exchange they would take a human child into their realm and leave behind a sickly fairy. That then would be, and there's some stories where they'd also leave behind like a potato that would be enchanted to make the mom think it was a baby. But okay, so that could be used to explain a whole host of things. Exactly. Like, and, oh, my kid, they wouldn't have thought this way, but my child has autism, or my ch- so you know something that even uh, just I have a super colicky baby. Yeah, something that's like that de- develops later and uh, is noticeable but they didn't have the language to say, oh he's not, he's not switched he's just a bit different from other children. Yeah, so like when we talk about when um, your stepbrother was a baby and he cried for two years. Yeah. That would have been a changeling. Hands down. So for the listener... My uh, stepfather and his first wife actually got on the news because my stepbrother literally did not stop crying for two years. Yeah. He'd sleep maybe 20 minutes at a time, wake up and cry. 
And somehow they did not kill themselves. Yeah. Which, you know, power to them. So, and and I was, um, for a lot of my fairy research, I read this book called At the Bottom of the Garden by Diane Perkis. And she's also been on some other podcasts and things like that. She, you know, really has become an expert in fairy lore. But she talked about the idea of the changeling kind of helping explain the feeling parents, especially mothers, may have of kind of not wanting their children, not bonding with them, not loving them. Because when you saw kind of how how you got rid of a changeling was essentially you would hurt the child until the fairies felt so bad for it that they gave the real child back. Yeah. You could go leave it in the woods... You yeah. know, and like walk away, and cut. And when you came back, hopefully the cha- fairies exchange your baby. You know, but obviously this would be a a test that not all the children would survive. Wow. Yeah. So like, and that's the thing is that I think a lot of times you see with fairies is that they're used to explain mental health issues Uh, because you saw and and she remarked this in the book a lot that um, she did not say it was tied with mental health issues but she uh, you know talked about in the book how fairies tend to be tied to transitionary periods in your life puberty you know, young women getting married, things like that. When you have a big shift in your life, that's when the fairies tend to show up. And when you have big shifts in your life, it tends to be more stressful. Mental health tends to be a bigger issue. So, yeah, like postpartum depression is a clear in uh, a, a clear example of something that mm-hmm. uh, could be would be explained away with changelings. Yeah. And I think also it was a way for mothers to, if they were having trouble dealing with their child, well, the explanation is, it's not me as a mother, it's that this is not my child. This is a sickly fairy. You know, and to kind of help provide a comfort in that. Man, people are gross sometimes. <laughs> yes. Now, you know... So, part of why, you know, where I'm going pretty into depth in the Changelings here is that in Midsummer Night's Dream, Titania and Oberon are fighting over what's called a Changeling in the play. However, um, what had happened to the boy in the play was that his mother was kind of a... I don't want to say like a priestess, but, you know, a human attendant of Titania. They got along very well. The mother died, so Titania took her son to raise as her own. And Oberon's like, I want him in my household. And Titania was like, no. What was his claim? He wanted it. Sounds like guys, yeah. Also sounds like fairies. Yeah. To be quite honest. So, you know, 
that that differs from traditional lore. I suppose they could have left a sickly child back in India where this kid was supposedly from, but I don't know. Alright. So, we also what's interesting is I think a part of the reason we saw a rise in fairies, especially in Shakespeare plays, because at the time, fairies were kind of in vogue. You know, the fairy court, Elizabeth I was at times referred to as the fairy queen. Oh, really? Yeah, not because of any real detachment to fairies, I guess. I Just she kind of liked that idea. Okay, that that it makes sense that Spencer wrote the fairy queen now. Yeah. Because he was notorious for sucking up to her. Well, yeah. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, even even the other suck-ups were like, Man, Spencer, you're sucking pretty hard there. Gross. Ugh. <laughs> so, and, and, you know, and, and in A Midsummer Night's Dream, there's a speech about... That there was like an event, and, and Oberon saw a mermaid riding on a dolphin. That was actually probably a reference to an event that happened at Queen Elizabeth's court. That there Where was this Oberon showed up riding a dolphin. Yes, good job, dear. I'm very, I'm very knowledgeable. So there was like a water pageant, and one of the floats looked like a dolphin and there was a mermaid on it okay kind of deal it was like a whole big pageantry thing but so then there we have another kind of association of queen elizabeth with fairies and part of that was that i think i don't know you know this is kind of a chicken or the egg situation but the elizabethan court was supposed to be similar to the fairy court. So we kind of have two camps of fairies. There's the ones... um, I forget what they're called. I think it's Seely and Unseely. Oh, yeah. I'm familiar with that. So Seely are the ones that would be in court. That there is a king and a queen and dances and parties and when people claimed to be taken to fairy world, this is where they went. Yeah, that's a common thing. It's like, uh, I'm, I'm familiar with that. It's kind of like alien abductions. You the, yeah. The fairies take you away, you party, and you come back later, and ten years have gone by. Mm-hmm. Which is a pretty convenient way to explain walking out on your family. Well, you know, sometimes <laughs> just those fairies, they, they snatch you right up. Yeah, it's it's really like a, frustrating. It's a it's like a precursor to just went out for some cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> I just went out to get some diapers, and the fairies took me. What was I supposed to do? Anyway, you've been sleeping with those fairies. Yes, of course, <laughs> silly goose. Um. So. Oh, they were also called trooping fairies. There, there it was okay. So this is where you have kind of the fairy world being apart from the human world. That's where we start seeing the lore of like, you know, the, like the mushroom circles were called yeah. fairy circles, which actually fun fact is just how those mushrooms grow. 
Well, yeah, I assumed it wasn't magic, Sarah. Well, I just mean, like, <laughs> it wasn't, like, you know, oh, that's kind of funny that those mushrooms happen to grow in a circle. Yeah. It's, like, how their root structure works makes them grow in a circle. Go. Fun fact. You bombard me with useless facts all day. I'm happy with that fact. It's a cool fact. Me, 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 me. Um, <laughs> Are you going to leave? Yes. Me, 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 me. <laughs> yes, Beaker just came by. Uh, um, I lost my train of thought. Uh, oh, so, like, that was supposed to be where you could go to the fairy court. Um, this is also where there is some... Some lore that, like, the fairies were actually, like, these little mystical people that were pushed into the hills, um, a long time ago and live there now, um, because, like, the woods, uh, you know, these kind of hilly, not very populated areas, that's where the fairies were supposed to be. That's where they kind of romped around our, our world. Okay. Um... Most people are like, eh, with the kind of like, the ancient Britons were little people that got pushed into the hills. Yeah, I, formed I, their own weird magic society. Yeah, I doubt that's what happened. Yeah, I, you know, it, a little weird. The little weird. Um, you'd think we'd find their dwellings at some point. There were certain physical spaces where it was easier to find fairies, and then there were also certain times of year where it was easier to for the fairies to cross over. So you you mentioned the Sealy Court. What was the Unsealy? Oh, were un- they were they the, like the spooky kinds? Well, from what I understand, the the like ones that aren't trooping fairies or um, the Unsealy, they're just not a part of court. So they're more like you're going to see the house fairies there. The kind of little trickster fairies or um, like the cobbler. Like they would be un- unsealy. They would be. Okay. So it's fancy and unfancy. Kind of. Okay. Nowadays, usually when you have sealy and unsealy, it's a bit more. Light nice, and dark. Ver- yeah, light and dark. Nicer versus yeah, and I and that that came with the evolution of it, um, but probably isn't super surprising because like when you hear about the Sealy fairies, the court, the trooping fairies, fairy court, it's a party. Like they'll abduct you for ten years, but it's a party. That's true. Whereas the the ones that aren't a part of court, like the house fairies, you know, pukas and things like that. They're super great until you piss them off. Ah, Well, the pook is not super great. Well, yeah. You touch it and it runs off with you. It drowns you. Don't touch it. Well, it's a pretty horse. Am I supposed to not touch a pretty horse that comes by? Yes. And like the banshee and stuff like that. So like some of the more nefarious ones would not be a part of court. I think some of the nefarious ones were a part of court too, but it's all very fluid because again, we're containing a lot of different stories into the umbrella of fairy. That makes sense. You know, and a lot of times you'll see this kind of tension between fairies and like ghosts 
you know, like a lot of times when people said they saw fairies, like in the Confessions of Witch Trials, or, um, you know, in other stories, um, I want to not the Green Knight story, but like that kind of legend. Mm-hmm. Fairies were like people who had passed. Like they'd oh. be like, oh, I saw my brother or so and so, you know. Oh, and so there's a bit of overlap between them. There is. Which is interesting. Like banshees. Exactly. Tend to be described like ghosts. Yeah. Howl in the middle of the night. Yeah. It's a fairy lady. Exactly. So this is where you can really start to see this kind of overlap and this pulling in of a whole bunch of stories into... Is it unexplainable? Fairies. Now if it's unexplainable, aliens. Yep, pretty much. And actually later in that in the book by Diane Perkis, she talks about how alien abductions are just modern day fairy stories. There's a lot in common there. Mm. Um, Which just means the aliens have always been there. So, you know, there were fairies, like I said, especially the house fairies that were kind of always present. But there were specific times of year and times of day that were easier to see fairies. One of those being Midsummer. Ah. The night before Midsummer was supposed to be, you know. Super happening with the fairies. Yeah, because nighttime was kind of their, their time. Makes sense. Um, it's it's scary out at night. People yeah. don't want to go out. Yeah. Mysterious things happen in the woods at night. Because fairies. Or because you can't see and you keep bumping into trees. How mysterious. Or the fairies moved the trees. Of course. Um, Nefarious. <laughs> Nefarious. Yeah, you like that one? Yeah, I did. Okay. Okay. Um... So that was kind of when, you know, you even today we talk about kind of the veil thinning, you know, that again, mostly talking about like ghosts and stuff now. But at the time it was just when it was kind of easier for them to um, cross over into our world. So that night, that Midsummer Eve was when the fairies kind of partied all night, had bonfires and feasts. And stuff like that. Um, you know, so it was it was kind of their time to frolic and thing. That's why I think in Midsummer they're kind of like all over the place that evening. I think one, you know, I think a lot of times, especially when we're talking about Shakespeare and fairies, Puck comes to mind. Yes. Um, now he was actually based loosely on, on just a trickster fairy. That like was it because he um oh what is he called Robin Goodfellow yeah Robin yeah so when they call him Robin Goodfellow that's a reference that an Elizabethan audience would have understood immediately what kind of fairy he was slightly incompetent well trickster fairy I mean yes but to be fair <laughs> to to Pug he was told. You'll see an Athenian dude sprinkle flower juice in his eye 
And he did. Just no one was aware there were two Athenian dudes in the woods. Well, you don't expect him to travel in pairs. It's true. The Athenian's a solitary animal. <laughs> so, I mean, that pretty much sums up what Elizabethan audience walking into a Shakespeare play would have known about fairies. And I think that's why, you know, when he does this kind of like, oh, we'll dress up as fairies, you know, nowadays we're like, but we're not tiny glowing figures. You know, that's not what people would have pictured. Okay, so people would have just thought, oh, they're going to dress up like spooky things in the wood. Pretty much, yeah. I guess that makes sense because, uh, you know, regardless of whether or not you believe in fairies, if you see something with wearing a mask in the woods, that can't be good. Yeah, it's just not, not a good time. Oh, no, it's, I don't think it's fairies. I think it's just ruffians come to bludgeon me. Yay. Yay. Ruffians will probably mess you up less than fairies. That's true. Fairies will, like, mess up your whole life. Well, that's pretty unfairy. But, um, so yeah, like I said, I mean, I think that pretty much sums up fairies for the most part. You know, they're, they're hard to pin down because they're just... A very loose category. Yeah. Well, and one interesting thing is, so, some people have traced back the idea of the small fairy back to Shakespeare. Because in Midsummer, um, Titania has um, her little fairy helpers that are um, Peas Blossom, Cobweb, something else. I can never remember their names. Yeah, they're in it for like one scene. But they're remarked as small. So they probably would have been played by kids or something. Or you know, just strap a tutu on a puppy and toss it on stage. Yes, definitely. Mm Mm-hmm. They talked, dear. The puppies talked? (laughs) Is this why you don't spend time with me if we're not talking about Shakespeare? Yes. There is debate over that, but some people have traced back the kind of idea of the tiny fairy to Shakespeare productions. And, you know, like, when we look even at Merry Wives of Windsor, like, they're like, we'll get all the kids to play fairies. Like, the adults do, too. But they make a point to have the kids as a part of it. Because, again, the Victorians are the ones that really solidified the, like, tiny fairy. So, here's a question. Is there any more incongruous name creature pairing than the puka? Because puka sounds super adorable, but then you find out they're a nightmare horse. Yeah. I mean, the the house spirits, I think it's either Scotland or Ireland were called brownies. Were they chocolate? (laughs) No. (laughs) But they would, you know... Like I said, they'd be helpful around the house unless you pissed them off. Okay. Then they took your stuff. Yeah, I think that... They also like shiny things. Oh, that how you explain away your lost spoons? Probably. Yeah, no, there's a lot of different uh, house fairy-esque things. Yeah. You know, like the Greeks had their little uh, uh, shrine to the house 
gods. Part of the reason kind of Christianity was made nervous about fairies was that people would leave them offerings and... Yeah, can't have competition. Well, exactly. I mean, really. And like I said, I think from what I read at Shakespeare time, it wasn't like everybody hands down fairies are real. Mm-hmm. We were, they were starting to drift away from belief in fairies, except for maybe in some of the um, more rural areas. But it was still it was still something that people participated in and used to explain things. Whether or not they hardcore believed in it. Or Does like, that make sense? Like, you don't believe in ghosts, but you have to check the furnace at night. Suddenly it's like, hmm. But is it going to jump out and scare me? Exactly. So, yeah, like, and, and so I guess that's where I would picture it. And, you know, I don't think we know for sure, like, what did people believe about fairies? It's not like, you know, there's a book, like, most people believed in fairies or not. We have to just go with what was written about at the time and what kind of traditions were. And, you know, so it's it's the tradition of fairies and weird things happen. Let's leave an offering out to the fairies because what can it hurt? Interesting. Anyway, uh, so that about wraps up our discussion on fairies. Yay. Thanks for talking about fairies with me. You're welcome, baby. And next time we're going to talk about Macbeth. <sighs> You have to say the Scottish king. (laughs) No. Thus ends another episode of Breaking Bard. Join us next time as we discuss the source material for Macbeth. That episode will be up two Mondays from now. If you don't want to miss that or any other future episodes, please hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider giving it a five-star review and sharing it with your friends. For more Shakespeare fun, check out my blog at ripegoodscholar.com or hit me up on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at ripegoodscholar. That's it for now. See you next time. And remember, our court shall be a little academic, still and contemplative in living art. <laughs> <laughs>